This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome into the Hoist of Colors podcast. This is Stephen Igo. Got an exciting edition of the podcast today. We sat down with Athletic Director John Gilbert earlier today in his office, and so we'll jump right into that interview here on the other side as we talk conference realignment and ECU's position in it. We also talk scheduling. We discuss the new contract of head baseball coach Cliff Goblin, the status of the football program entering year four of Mike Houston, and his early impressions from new men's basketball coach Michael Schwartz. On the other side, you hear from John Gilbert, the director of East Carolina Athletics, on the Hoist the Colors podcast. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Joined now by ECU Director of Athletics, John Gilbert. We are in late July, which means we're closing in on August, soon to be preseason camp and football season. So, John, I don't know if you had a chance to enjoy any downtime this summer, but how's your summer been? Are you excited to uh, to soon kick off another football season? Well, well certainly I'm uh, excited about where we are, um, <clears throat> you know, re- relative to the start of – Uh, training camp for football, soccer, volleyball. Uh, You know, we've had our football, men's and women's basketball teams on campus uh, this summer working out. Uh, I did get away for the 4th of July uh, that week, obviously not not long enough. Uh, And actually before that, I went through a little battle with COVID, uh, which first time that I've gotten it. And it it uh, it hit me pretty good, so I have a little more appreciation for the those that have gone through it. Um, but but excited about where we are, um, and, and just looking forward to watching the Pirates play this fall. Heading into 
Coach Houston's fourth season. I mean, so much has happened since you guys were initially hired basically mm-hmm. together. So much has transpired since then on you guys' administration and with Coach Houston. How much of a better feeling is it maybe now today as we sit here in late July going to that fourth season compared to the, the unknown to begin your tenure heading into season one four years ago? Yeah, and, and you know, when, when you take over a program, and I'm really speaking for both of us in this regard, you, you always think you can do it faster. You, you know, you'll come in and make changes and do different things. Um, you know, it's been an annual process. Uh, you know, that, that first year, uh, obviously, we, we struggled competitively. And then even, you know, from an athletic director standpoint, you know, it takes a little time to uh, know everyone, develop relationships, uh, all those things. And so we, we really have evolved, I think, really well, both our athletic department uh, over the last three and a half years and our football program ha- have been, in my mind, pretty similar on how we've evolved. Obviously, there's a great more uh, stability you know, right now. You know, when I first got here, man, it was uh, it was a tough environment. Like, you know, people were not happy. Uh, people were, you know, we were coming off, you know, losing seasons and just, you know, some apathy. And and I feel like we've we've combated that in a really good way. And and uh, you know, the best I met with a donor actually like two weeks ago. We're in the middle of a capital campaign and I'm sure we'll talk about that later but we're driving down the road after lunch and and it struck me because he said you know the best thing that I could say about you and the department right now is people aren't complaining or bitching about anything and I thought you know what that that's true I mean it, it goes a long way and I said now athletics is day to day so they could be complaining or you know bitching tomorrow but I do feel really good from a stability standpoint with our coaches uh, and with our football program. I mean, college athletics right now is just insane. Like we were talking before the podcast, and it's, it's almost like I don't even know where to begin, but we will start with, with conference realignment and where East Carolina sits and all that. And it is kind of a time of uncertainty, I think, for every school, but especially a school like ECU where you know you have some teams leaving the American Athletic Conference for the Big 12. You've got – uh, certain conferences at the top of the food chain adding or making big moves like USC and UCLA unexpectedly going to the Big Ten. It's just a crazy time right now. How would you or what would you say to ECU fans who are uncertain about the evolution right now of especially of college football and conference realignment? Yeah, I, I think you really have to start at the top. And what I mean by that is if you look at the NCAA and its leadership, you know, I'll be kind and say it's fractured. The, there, there is no leadership right now. And so what you have is everybody is looking uh, at the financial picture. And, and so in, in summary, what you're looking at at the two, what I would call the two big expansions, you had Texas and Oklahoma, go, they, they've announced they're going to the SEC, and then UCLA and USC going to the Big Ten. The, the gap that the SEC and the Big Ten have financially, like right now today, you know, a Vanderbilt 
is making, you know, 20 to 25 million dollars more per year right now today than Clemson. And so you you look at that gap and you go, hey, at some point these other schools they're going to have to figure it out because that gap can't continue to widen. But but back to expansion. Look look who the Big 10 took. That they took the two most visible and well-branded properties in that league. They didn't take Stanford and Oregon and Washington and Arizona, which I would argue are really good properties. But what the Big Ten determined by who they took and who they didn't take was those two properties in USC and UCLA, they are going to bring the value to our league and they're going to help expand our revenue base. And so it's you immediately go, well, what about ECU? Where are we? What can we do? Number one, I would say we are in a very good position where we are. I, I feel really good about where our league is and the stability of that league. Now, could we have a member that leaves? We could. But the reality is for the next seven, eight years, our conference distribution which is the highest distribution out of, you know, for lack of a better term, all the other group of five leagues. We are by far the best. Um, how, how can we, uh, you know, go live in another neighborhood one day? That's the question I get asked or, you know, what we're doing. And so really, if, if you look at what's going on, it is driven by football uh, and it's driven by money. Uh, and, and so the more that we can be competitive across the board in all our sports, but particularly football, uh, and the better off we are financially. So the more season tickets that we can say we've sold X number of season tickets, uh, the more that our stadium is full, the more eyeballs that watch our game. Because when, when these things happen, you know, ESPN would look at East Carolina and go, hey, so many people are watching this on ESPN+. Plus. They, look at, they look at those data points, you know, all the time. So the better off we can be, uh, the better we are financially and from a competitive standpoint, that, that's when opportunities come your way. And so I do feel like we're trending in that direction. Certainly football was off to a, you know, had a really good season last year. But we need to continue that evolution of, you know, being competitive and winning. I've seen the graphic where, I forget the year, you might tell me, I think it was in like 14, yeah. where they said which programs belong, you, you know, in the BCS, and we were one of those. Well, the reason we were one, in that, one of those is we were winning at such a high level, and we had 17, 18,000 season ticket holders. You know, right now today we're at about 14,300, hoping we can close the gap to 15,000. I'd be really excited about that number. And, and what that does is that projects to others that, hey, people care about East Carolina football. Um, look at their season ticket base. We flip on the TV and see all these people. Th that those are important factors when you talk about what conference you're in. 
Yeah, it's, it's, it's so crazy. And, and football has such so much to do with it because really that is what ESPN, like you said, looks at. And, and Fox and really a lot of people that don't follow this closely don't know that they're kind of the puppet, you know, they're the puppet masters behind this thing running the whole thing or at least playing a big role in that. And um, when you look at not only football's landscape in conference realignment, but also men's basketball, how much of a role – because really, that along with women's basketball as well make up the TV contract in terms of what's negotiated. How important is men's basketball, even though it's not at the level of football, and getting that program off to a good start as well? Yeah, I, I would say basketball is hugely important. Like if you know, a lot of times on these TV contracts, they'll say, "Hey, we're valuing," <clears throat> excuse me, "we're valuing each property." you know, 80% football, 20% men's basketball. That Those are really the other two. They're, they're not looking at other sports from a viewership and revenue standpoint. Um, so basketball is hugely important. Uh, obviously excited about Coach Schwartz and, and uh, his staff and, and, you know, what they're doing. But we do need to continue to grow to be competitive in basketball because the more competitive we are there, the more opportunities we're going to have. Back to the whole funding model. You know, when you look at the revenue that, that we drive, the better, our, the, the better we are in men's basketball, the more revenue we can drive in very short order. And, you know, you look at a school, a lot of people say, hey, look at UCF, Houston, Cincinnati. At one point, those were peers of East Carolina, still are today in the American. And at one point, UCU was beating up on those schools. When you look at those programs, is there something that they've been able to do outside of the obvious of winning consistently that uh, that an East Carolina can strive for in, in those regards to continue to make that, that leap up the ladder? Yeah, I, I would. Houston and, and Central Florida are really good models. If you look at Houston and where their budget is today, now they're still in the American for another year, but their budget and their salaries are, they're, they're competitive in the Big 12. Ours are not. Right. Uh, and we're going to continue to do the things we can do to grow our revenue base, you know, improve contracts. We want to get salaries up. We've got to get operating budgets up. Um, that is the biggest piece. And they did this years ago. Like, I know that Houston and Central Florida, you know, for lack of a better term, doubled down on athletics. Uh, and invested a, a lot of money to grow their athletic department budgets. That doesn't happen overnight. It takes time. But, but what it does is when the time comes of, hey, there's another round of expansion, you can point to a Houston or a Central Florida and go, hey, they, they've got all these facilities. They've got these types of budgets. They're already competitive salary-wise. They're, they're, they're a willing participant. Like, that's who we need to be talking to. You know, and, and I use the analogy of moving into a neighborhood and there's one lot left. You don't invite the person in that is complaining about the HOA fees every month or they don't really swim in the neighborhood swimming pool because and they don't want to pay for the chlorine 
you know, you want somebody that's going to come in and go, hey, I'm going to build this size house and I'm going to, I've got a boat and I've got an RV and, you know, I'm going to spend all this money to, to live in this neighborhood. It, and that's what you're seeing with the expansion of who was taken versus who wasn't taken. And there are a lot of really good schools out there, but they're not at that other level. And so the more we can, uh, you know, be competitive and grow those revenue st streams and, and start making our way to the top end of the league from a budgetary standpoint, the more attractive we're going to be. We want to put our best foot forward to make sure we look the best of when all those factors line up again. As I was driving in, and it's the first time I've been over to, you know, the area behind Clark Clare Stadium since the end of baseball season, and you know that uh, structure, the new weight room has yeah. really come a long way. It appears it's you know closing in on being finished. You guys have launched the Pirates Unite campaign. How how has that process gone in the early going? I know you guys were doing some fundraising even behind the scenes before yeah. launching it. Are those numbers that y'all have already announced in terms of money raised of that, or is that still kind of a work in progress? Well, it, it's a work in progress in that, um, one, I would say this. Our donors are spending more money right now than they've ever spent with ECU Athletics. Our, our annual fund has stabilized. I think this past year we ended up, you know, right at $7 million, which, again, you compare us to other schools that look like us, that is very healthy. Like, we're in very good shape with that. We also, for the first time since I've been here, uh, we'll have the tower sold out, and, and that's a really big deal. Um, so from a funding standpoint, we, we are doing some things, and then we've had uh, quite a few donors that have stepped up and started making gifts and commitments, and I want to be very deliberate uh, through ECU Athletics and the Pirate Club of making sure we announce when somebody makes a gift because I do think it will help us create momentum and, and show the value of investing of our student-athletes. Obviously, uh, we've got multiple projects with the campaign. The uh, weight room, you know, hope to have it complete by October, November. Uh, we've got a swimming locker room renovation going on. Uh, obviously, the indoor practice facility, baseball. We want to expand the team's building for our uh, Olympic sports teams to have, uh, you know, more space. And then another really important piece is uh, our individual sports restricted funds. So if somebody wanted to give a gift to men's basketball, I want, here, here's, you know, whatever to men's basketball, that could go in a restricted account where the coaches could use that for items that aren't covered uh, un under the budget. And so we've had a lot of people that have done that to invest in uh, some things with our, our sports teams. And so broad-based campaign, uh, pleased with where it is. Uh, we're talking to a lot of donors that are making some, in a lot of cases, they're making the largest gift they've ever made to ECU and, and um, just couldn't be more thrilled with the people that are coming on board. Correct me if I'm wrong, but it was announced as, what, a 60 million dollar campaign and then I know that every 
project within that each one you just talked about is a different price so uh, and, and also you guys can start a project as soon as each one is fully funded so it doesn't all have to be done at the same time so you know you know I always like, like to talk about the indoor facility what is kind of the number you guys are looking at for fundraising for that specifically and, and where is that at? at this I, I think we're going to fall somewhere between the 16 and 20 million dollar range is, is where I think it will end up um, we, we've had quite a few commitments to it. Um, you know, we're not anywhere near that number. So, so we still have a lot of fundraising to go. But, but we also have quite a few significant asks on the table. Uh, and and if, if those come through, we, we would, I'm not saying we'd be ready to turn, you know, dirt, but we, we'd definitely be trending down that, that path. So, um, pretty optimistic about where that is and it it all ebbs and flows you know I, I don't think people are quite thinking about football yet they're starting to think about it you know they're still on vacation kids haven't gone back to school I think when that happens we'll we'll start to see you know another surge as as we go into the school year when you guys look at facilities and then that, obviously that's money you guys are fundraising, but then you also have the donors who have to give to the NIL yeah. you know, part of, of fundraising for them in terms of what's happening in college athletics right now. Have you had donors say, well, how can I give to both or how do I split this money? Because it is a reality that you, 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 know, you can't spend maximum amount of money on both sides of the table. If you're yeah, a donor. A absolutely. Uh, we have. We talked to quite a few donors uh, about this, and it is the same question of, you know, I'm, I'm joining the Pirate Club, I'm buying season tickets, I'm going to give to the capital campaign, and, and now you want me to, to, to give to NIL. And NIL, I, I've tried to be very deliberate about this. It, it is the reality of, of where we are. And at least in, you know, football, basketball, baseball, and really I'm starting to seeing it in some other sports as well. If you don't have some sort of NIL for a transfer or a student athlete that has done really well at ECU, other schools are talking to them indirectly. Um, and so it is a space we have to play in. But I also remind donors, like we're not talking about a lot of money. Like as a college student, you get an extra $100 in your pocket uh, that can go a long way. And, and so I do think the benefit of having a collective is important. Um, but I also don't want donors to to be scared away or put off thinking that we're, we're talking about significant sums of money because I do think at East Carolina and where we are, you know, 100 bucks a month can go a long way. When you guys look at the, the the other question I get more than than comfortable lima is scheduling so we'll, yes. talk, we'll transition now talk scheduling um, obviously a, a very attractive non-conference schedule I think this year with NC State as the season opener Old Dominion as well and then a road trip to BYU along with the FCS game against Campbell um, we'll start first with the BYU game that they're returning to East Carolina they, they have been I guess 
canceling some games because they're making the move to the Big 12. So yeah. there's been some concern from Pirate fans. Are they going to cancel their, their trip to ECU? What, what have you heard on, on BYU's in there? Well, um, I don't remember the timeline, but I want to say that it was back in the fall we started having conversations with BYU. And their contract, uh, you know, it was a home-and-home home series in 22 and 24. And the way the contract stipulated was we, um, you know, we can cancel or get out of the game for nothing if we move to another league. And, and so um, we were, we, we had a couple options. You know, we could go out to BYU and then just say, hey, I don't want you to come back. Uh, and I knew we were stuck having to go out there because they're not yet in a new league. So, um, you know, not going to BYU this year was not an option. So then the next option is, you know, w what do you do with the game? And, and so we talked about a bunch of scenarios. They needed to move the game off of 24. And so we moved it one year back to 25. So we're going to play them uh, September 20th of 2025. Uh, they'll come back to Dowdy Ficklin. Um, obviously, will be uh, you know their preseason rank pretty high. Um, so we'll you know go out there and, and uh, looking forward to, to that trip. Um, you know I've I've been out there, but not to a game, and and so. Uh, looking forward to that. So that created, you know, a couple openings in 24. You, you also have uh, Charlotte coming off the schedule as a non-conference game. Now, obviously, not this year, but next year we'll start playing them, you know, on a regular home-and-home -home basis being in our league, which I think is a good thing. We need a rival. Um, I hear all the time that, you know, State and Carolina are our rivals, but we don't play them every year. And, and so I think having someone close by in your conference uh, that you can play on a regular regular basis uh, is a good thing. So um, we're full in 23. So in 23, we've got uh, at Michigan uh, to open the season, Marshall at home, at App, uh, and then Gardner-Webb. 24, uh, we're finalizing a contract with Norfolk State, which would be an FCS game. Uh, we're at Old Dominion that year, uh, Appalachian State at home, and then we're looking to add an additional FBS game. That game could be at home or on the road, but I would tell you in the scheduling world, that is like tomorrow. 2024 is literally... 24 hours from now in the scheduling world. And so there are not a ton of teams that, that are left available. Uh, I'm hoping with all this realignment talk and, you know, people will end up having to cancel or get out of some games that I'm hopeful that it creates some inventory that we'll, we'll be able to, to get a game. But you could see in 24 there is the potential for an odd matchup. Um, just continuing to work through that. I work on scheduling almost every day. Um, now, now, if you if you look 
uh, to the future of scheduling. 25, we're full. Uh, 26, right now on 26, we've got App at Home at Boise, West Virginia at Home. So we'll add in an FCS game uh, there in, in 26. 27, we're full. Uh, we moved the South Carolina game from the COVID year when that game got canceled. So in 27, we go at South Carolina, Wake at home, at Old Dominion, Georgia State at home. Pretty competitive uh, schedule. 28, we need an FCS game. So in 28 right now, we've got NC State at home, Boise State at home. That's going to be a good back-to-back. Yeah. Uh, NC State, Boise, an FCS game yet to schedule at Wake. So that's a... Uh, Another tough, tough that, that that is a tough, uh, and then looking at 2029 and beyond, really all we have on the books is, you know, the long series home and home with Old Dominion. So, really, I would say from a meat of the schedule standpoint, 2029 is the next time that we'll be adding and beyond significant opponents other than what I just mentioned. And are, are you already in talks with potential teams on series that far out besides obviously Old Dominion, which you guys already have on the books, or is it is it not too serious at that, at that not, standpoint? Not uh, like we do have conversations, but not to the point of, okay, let's, let's go do this. Right. You, you know, everybody's trying to look and see who's out there to, to, to get the best schedule, but it, it clearly is something that uh, – you know we we need to uh we need to work on somebody always asks about north carolina and i think i asked you this last year in the same podcast have there been any discussions with unc to renew that series in football i i just don't see the interest on their end you know we continue to work to see if there are opportunities to play they're scheduled pretty far out um you know we've got nc state on the books to 28 um you know, getting that game is an important, you know, it, it's important. Uh, you know, we're just going to continue to work on that to see if at, at some point they'll play us again. After the last two times, last three times, they may not want to for uh, a while. But uh, Well, I, I have I have a friend that is a North Carolina yeah. grad that ma- made the comment to me the last time we played the Pirates, they were not very hospitable to us. And, and I think – that probably is playing a little bit into the into the decision. Makes sense for sure. And um, we we'll talk season tickets now. You, you said earlier, I think fourteen thousand three hundred yeah. is kind of the, the number you are at. Um, again, closing in on August, still time for, for kind of a late push. Which you know, talking to some of my friends who are I would define as casual football fans, they keep telling me, "Hey, we're going to get season tickets," but they haven't made that move yet. So. Are you guys anticipating kind of that late push as, as the NC State season opener draws closer? Yeah, a- absolutely. We, we still have quite a few non-renewals that w- we think will attribute to a couple more hundred season ticket holders. We also have that person that I mentioned earlier. They're still in summer mode until right. their kids go back to school. They, they haven't begun thinking about football. And so we do think we'll have a late push. Um, Single-game ticket sales went on sale Monday for Pirate Club members for the next two weeks. Sales have been extremely brisk, um, so that's been a good thing. So the the way 
that works too is you put your order in right now we're really not allocating that ticket till a little bit later so we're still going to be taking season ticket orders uh, and again I, I would be thrilled if we could get to that 15,000 number. When you look at single game sales for the NC State game do you, do you see that with with so many single game tickets needing to be sold everyone keeps saying well we want it to be a sellout well Obviously, you do have the Student Pirate Club, which will make up some of the, the difference there between 14000 to 50000 But do you feel like a, a sellout is feasible for that game, especially with NC State bringing probably some fans as well? Yeah, I, I think we have work to do to make it a sellout. Um, you, you know, we haven't had 50,000 people in that stadium in a long time. You probably could tell me yeah. better than, you know, w- when that last time was, and maybe it was – probably 2014 if I had to guess yeah it's been a while and so I think the more season tickets you can sell and and then obviously you need a robust student turnout which I think we'll get Um, and then you obviously need the visiting team to buy uh, a large chunk of tickets plus your fans you know buying single game tickets so I, I think obviously I feel good saying I think we'll get you know, 40, 45, that last 5,000, you know, we'll, we'll need some people to really come on board to, to make it a, a legitimate sellout. Baseball season wrapped up recently. Pirates finished one step short of of the College World Series. But, man, the, the atmosphere, I mean, we've seen a, a Greenville Regional, but the Greenville Super Regional, it, it took it to a whole nother level. Um, just your, your thoughts of being around that weekend, and, and obviously we talked about you know baseball maybe not a revenue sport in terms of the actual money it brings in, but the notoriety it ga- it gives the school and it gave the school that weekend I think it is worth a lot more than maybe you can kind of account for. The the exposure that we got and the 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 type of exposure when people turn on the TV and the announcers are talking about what a great experience is. And you actually could see it on TV. You know, sometimes you watch a, a sporting event and it's really hard to tell what the atmosphere is and how it was in the stands. You, you know, it was off the charts good. And I heard, I've heard from so many people nationally that have no connection to ECU. Uh, I, I talked to a, a sports agent, a very well-known sports agent the other day that was a friend and the first thing he wanted to talk about was that weekend that he he watched it you know wanted to talk about what he saw and how great it was and I I think it was a combination of things obviously we have an unbelievable fan base um, which I think contributed largely to it I think also the matchup you had a David Goliath type matchup even though I don't believe in those things a lot. Like, you know, the first two days up through the seventh inning, I would say we were Goliath and they were David. Uh, It just didn't play in our favor. Um, I I do think the the type of program that Cliff has developed, and, you know, I, I know the history of our baseball team. Like, every coach has won in ECU baseball. Uh, even the coaches that aren't here anymore, they, they won to a degree. But if you look at what Cliff has done, I do think that he and his staff and the student-athletes have really taken it to the next level. When you host four regionals 
and a super regional like you know I think Stanford was the only other school that was able to do that and they have such a geographic advantage that I mean obviously they're a good program I'm not discounting that but you look at the number of good baseball playing schools in the south only so many schools in the west can host so for us to be in that same uh, discussion just an unbelievable job uh, by Cliff and our staff. And you guys have rewarded Coach Goblin with a, a very long extension. I believe the longest extension maybe an ECU coach has ever received just in terms of years. So uh, getting that done, how important was that to you guys? Because there was, again, some more buzz uh, from, from schools in the region that were interested in him. And I think it's important to obviously reward him to, to keep him at East Carolina. Yeah, well, well clearly he, he has uh, put, put the program on, on a very solid foundation you know, we're not going to host regionals every year, but to host it four years in a row, host a super regional, uh, you know, it, that to me solidifies, you know, what, what we've done and, you know, we'll continue to do for, for that program. Early impressions of Coach Schwartz with, with the basketball program, you know, obviously making the move uh, this past spring uh, with, with him incoming in March. I know he's still probably trying to get his feet on the ground, but just have you been out of practice or any of the workouts and kind of gotten a feel for what he's done thus far? Yeah, it, it is. Um, I, I've gone to actually quite a few practices and, and watched the guys. You know, certainly we've got, I think, five returners uh, and then a bunch of new faces uh, that, you know, it just takes time to develop uh, to get him to put in his system. And... I've been really, uh, you know, impressed and pleased with the way he's teaching on the court, the, the expectation where, um, you know, he's doing a lot of teaching right now. And, you know, I thought it was interesting the other day when I was there, he said, okay, we're going to run this drill. And it was like, a, you know, a four-man drill. And, you know, everybody on the baseline. And he said, do, do we need to go over the drill one more time before we do it or are you going to be able to do it full speed and somebody in the group said no we need to go over it one more time which I thought was great like that's exactly what this time of year is for is to to teach and educate and skill development and so I do think his staff places a large value on skill development you know obviously we want to recruit the best student athletes that we can get but you also have to develop the ones that you have. And so I do think you'll see these players develop over time because they spend a lot of time in the gym individually uh, working on getting better. Lastly, as we wrap up our interview, and we've talked about the need for more season ticket buyers and and just overall giving in this uncertain time in college athletics, just what's, what's kind of your message to the Pirate Nation going into another football season as we go into another year, uh, continue the, this journey uh, as ECU, I, I think, is ascending athletically compared to where it was certainly when, when you guys took the job. Uh, just what would be your message to, to Power Nation? Well, I, I think my message is simple. Like, we need them to partner with us and be a part of the process. Like, we're not doing this on our own. You, you know, I get to lead the department, which I'm thankful to be the the athletic director at, at ECU. I love living here. I love the community. Um, you know, I love everything that ECU stands for. But, like, we really need them. 
and uh, we, we need them to come to our athletic events and we need them to buy a ticket and join the Pirate Club but we also need their engagement like you know the more that we can uh, get our student athletes out in the community where people know them it makes such a huge difference on uh, people coming to the game. We're going to do an event tonight for Pirate Club people to meet the basketball team. And it's a great time of year because there's no pressure. We're not playing a game anytime soon. And, and really the goal out of it is, for me, w- would we like them to donate money and, and do all those things? Absolutely we would. But the goal for me is, like, I want them to know who Luigi Debo is. Like, come talk to him, he's a real person, you know, he's fun to talk to, or Winston Tabs, or David Kasangane, or, you, you know, the, the, the many players that, that we have. I want them to get to know them because the, the more that they know them or feel this personal connection, the, the more likely they are to come to our games and events. And I would say that about all sports. And so that really is the goal. We want people to to be engaged, you know, come watch, come be a part of it. He is Athletics Director John Gilbert. John, we appreciate the time. As always, know you're busy, so we appreciate you taking a lot of time out of your day to talk on the Hoist of Colors podcast. Go Pirates! And that was our conversation with Athletics Director John Gilbert. Hope you guys enjoyed all the information. We'll be back with you later this week with another edition of the HTC Podcast. Thanks for listening.